trying to get <clears throat> somewhat balanced. Balanced. Um, Balance above all else. Balance. Now, okay, looks like we're roughly yeah, we're equal. English. You tend to sit a little further back from the mic. Whom? Then I do, Nathan. But. Oh. Do you, do you want me to just straight up make out with it? Just, just I mean, that's real, pretty much what I do. At some point, we should upgrade to those microphones that are like straight on the shore. Is that what you have? No. Okay. But. Um, Someday when we have money. They have affordable ones anyway, though. But the real nice ones are like three fifty. Yeah, that's true. Three dollars and fifty cents. That's uh, that's a low low price. price. (laughs) That's illegal. (laughs) But wait, there's more. But wait. Act now, and we can talk to you about your car's uh, extended warranty. <laughs> disclaimer: There is a class action lawsuit against <laughs> because our warrant, our, our disclaimer was not thorough enough. Anything you time. say can and will be used against you in a court of law. This is true. Speaking of true, we are truly in the studio. Once more. We are all truly in the studio. All together. Because you guys are usually truly in the studio. That's true. Whereas I am We have never not been. Minus the vodka. We are otherwise truly in the studio. Yes. Um, But yes, it is nice to be back together once more. There are actual leaves on the trees as I look outside. Never mind the fact that the trees are attempting to kill us. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least our bodies perceive that the trees are attempting to kill us. And overreact. Accordingly, I pity you lower creatures who have bad... I don't have bad See, allergies in the spring. I, for whatever reason, the trees in Fargo are not nearly as aggressive as the trees back home. Because I go home... Well, there's just a lot less of them. Yeah, the trees, that's true. The trees in Minnesota have a lot more competition to spread pollen. Yeah. I, I, I was home briefly over the weekend. And just the... Because I went, um, went to the house and then we went to the lake fit to fish. But the brief time I was at the house, I was like already starting to like eh, eh, get stuffy and uh, even lose my voice a little bit, which is weird, but happens occasionally with uh, with pollen and whatnot. But I definitely once it once we get to like August and we have a grain harvest and dust and every stuff everywhere, that's when my allergies really kick in. Uh-huh. And ragweed. I'm apparently very allergic to ragweed. Connect the dots. Palladium Papist edition. You just do one of those coloring book connect the dots and it's just like a guy playing ragtime on a piano smoking weed. Ragweed. Do you have ragweed allergies? Don't fill out this dot to dot. I, I feel like that would be more like weed rag, because usually when you got a rag yes. song, well, a rag would be, a rag about weed would be weed rag. Yes, exactly. I I, I think that's right. Like, because you've got you can have rag, but the modifier to rag would come before it, right. because it's rag 
Weed Unless the weed is the primary activity and the ragtime is just sort of accidental. Yeah. Then it would be ragweed. Because every <laughs> ragtime song I know ends with rag as opposed to having... Is the, weed, is the rag the about the weed or are you doing the weed with the rag? No, you're doing the rag with the weed. Ah. That's, that's what you'd have to have to have ragweed. Yeah. So... It, it is the, the weed you have with your rag. It's the rag you have with your weed. <laughs> the imagine. weed is the primary activity in order for the adjective to be rag. You know, um, let's see. Oh, what is the name of the the song with like Snoop Dogg and um, 50 Cent, I think, right? It was like the blum, 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 blum. I'm just like that piano riff. On, what was that one called again? That's definitely not Snoop Dogg. I believe 50 Cent is in that, but I don't think Snoop Dogg is. Because they they did it in the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Well, that's because they did a, a medley of just everybody's stuff. Oh, no, no, Dr. Dre. That's who I was thinking yes. of. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Um, I'm just imagining that that piano yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but ragtime it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see somebody do that. I know I came across a YouTube channel a couple of years ago where there was this guy who just ragtimes these different like pop songs, but <clears throat> I'll have to see if that made the cut. There were a couple of ragtime songs that my dad played with my grandpa and uncles, mm. uh, just on an acoustic guitar. They were fun. My mom still plays The Entertainer, which is one of the classics. Oh, yes. Classics. I don't know if that's, like, strictly speaking, a ragtime, but it's of that era. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what genre of that. I think rag You is, can play it in the ragtime style if you want to. Yeah. Rag is, like, very like fast-paced jazz piano, right? More or less, much, it's yeah. proto jazz. Proto, yeah, it, I would say it predates, like, say, your 1920s or earlier. Yeah, 1910s is when ragtime really starts to show up. Hmm. Which musical movement was that part of? Like, because you had sort of the late 1800s, like, sort of bar music. It's yeah. like the Harlem sort of Globetrotters. No, not the Globetrotters. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, it was sort of the the first time that like African music African music started becoming popular. Like they started putting American popular music spin on it. Uh-huh. Out of which you got basically all popular music today. Yeah, like mm-hmm. rock and roll is based on the same kind of African blues well, because- paradigm. Oh, Chuck Berry was just you doing the guitar riffs. He was copying what they were playing on the piano and those like jazz and blues stuff, and that's what eventually rolled into, uh, you know, Elvis and stuff mm-hmm. and other rock. And then and we got involved in the sixties. Yeah, it all that, comes full circle. And then the culmination, the white, um, the revenge of the white folks. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the culmination the happened. The apex. Of music civilization was the School of Rock, starring Jack Black. No, <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that one. You haven't? I have I not. watched it. Miranda I Cosgrove s- as a child is in it. Oh, that's right. Oh, I watched it by myself a few months ago. Actually, sounds sad. Um, well, everybody else was in bed, and I felt like staying up because it was a Friday oh. night. That that explains it. I probably was in bed. Yeah, it was a Friday night, and it was one of those things where I came across it on whatever streaming platform it was. I was like, you know, I've never watched this all the way through. I'm going to watch this all the way through, and I did, and I liked it. It was fun. I was like, I see why this is a classic. Neat. 
Those, it's Jack Black affirming people. Yeah. In their musical choices. Yep. Hmm. I'd so it's say like strictly positive. He's probably most known, I would imagine, for for that and Nacho Libre are like his two big ones from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I and then s- Tenacious D, of course. Yeah, Tenacious D and then uh, Kung Fu Panda, but that's as a voice acting talent. Um, and now he's going to be Bowser in the Mario movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Chris Pratt Mario. The Chris yeah. Pratt Mario. <laughs> it's me. I'm Mario. <laughs> I it's me. I'm deceased. Yeah. The, the cover... The poster they released of Chris Pratt with Mario on it just looked like it was an obituary. <laughs> it did. In loving memory, because it was in black and white. In, it, was, it was supposed to look all artsy and cool, and it was just. Not. In loving memory of Chris Mario Pratt. <laughs> I've played all the Mario. <laughs> I've played all the Marios. They should have got. Donkey they should have had Donkey do the voice of Mario. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, if you could just no. have a bunch of, if you, you could just, just seek, sample and sequence the uh, uh, Hotel Mario and old Super yeah, run that through a neural network, and <laughs> do an AI generated Mario voice. Um, I, I'm just really sad that Chris Martinet didn't get it. Charles Martinet. Charles Martinet. Yeah. yeah. Although apparently he is involved still somehow. Part of me is like really hoping he has a Waluigi cameo at the end. <laughs> Nice, but I don't know. Or don't you get the Wallaluya chorus <laughs> as like the the end credit song or something. No, knowing Illumination, it'll probably be some dumb pop song. Yeah, unless you know they actually you know manage what the content fans well. of Nintendo like Katy Perry. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We totally understand our target demographics. Let's be real; the people at Illumination are probably all robots. It's like, yeah, like, everything after the fir- their first couple movies was written by an AI. Yeah, <laughs> we're kind of hitting that point now. Them and well, I'd say Sony Animation would be more guilty of that because you have the emoji uh, they're, movie. They're more hit and miss. I feel That's like because they made Spider Verse. That's true, but I mean, like the but studio, that was kind of driven by Lord and Miller, right? right. Who do their own thing and whichever when left to their own devices, they make the emoji movie. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen, nor do I care. If you or a loved one have seen an unsupervised, have seen a movie that Sony Animation made unsupervised, you may be entitled to financial compensation. What's another like terrible movie studio? I don't know. There's a few of them. Like just consistently. Whoever made six Sharknados. Oh yeah. They're like kind of bad on purpose though. Yeah, they are. But it's still like it doesn't make make it it's better. Too that it's too bad. bad. It's not like like that's their Kung brand. Fury homebrew bad. It's yeah. like intentionally makes you cringe, and I don't like that. I, yeah, I don't. I'm not really a fan of there's some humor. there's some value to that that like once six is a is horrid. Right, but you gotta air something during Shark Week. You can't just play reruns of Shark Tank all the time. Or is the so Megal- that's what they watch on? Or Shark Week, is Megalodon right? still alive? Uh, documentaries. Uh, spoilers, they, they don't find them. They never find anything in Discovery Channel like, where is this hidden thing? I'm not but, saying it was aliens. But... but I'm not saying for, it was History for a Channel, channel but called Discovery Channel. They discover... They discover very little. Basically nothing. <laughs> I've probably talked about this before, but I remember watching the one show where they're like hunting Sasquatch or something. And they're like... <laughs> 
in this, these people's backyard. And, you know, the damage to their house was absolutely a bear because uh, they live in the woods and it was just like ripped screen door and stuff. But, you know, they had the music and the and the file photos and like the dramatic people t- looking at the computer like, oh, no, they are totally a squatch. And then they're all like <clears throat> posted out in these people's backyard in the woods. And there's the one dude. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh, we're picking something up on thermal. What is it? What is it? And the guy who's running the thermal camera just is inex okay, he's standing on these people's back deck. Nothing around him. He's like, what happened? What happened? I'm on the ground. Like you fell on the ground without moving. Just conveniently at the time you were about to see something on the scope. Oh boy. Got to got to punch. A cameraman walked up and punched him in the knee. Yeah, <laughs> we need drama. Get over there. Well, but behind the camera is the Sasquatch Protection Agency, and that's what it is. It's all funded by the Sasquatch himself. It's it's funded by Big Sasquatch. <laughs> like they're trying to keep keep you in the dark. Wake up, people. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> the Sasquatch is real, and he's coming for you. We we elected. It's the all there. The secrets of the universe. <laughs> Stunning detail. I mean, who makes all that soap? Let's be real. It's probably Sasquatch sweatshops in Canada. <laughs> the evil Dr. Squatch is going to take us over far before China Dr. ever does. Dr. Squatch? That's that, like, overly pricey new... Um, Soap company where the guys like Facebook ads cussing you out for not using their soap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's supposed to be funny. Yeah, and then they sell you twenty dollar, twenty five dollar bars of soap that are like four by four. That's like five. It's like four or five boxes of Irish Spring, like packs. Well, to be fair, Irish Spring does suck. It does. If you want bar soap, buy Sterling Soap Company. They make not sponsored. Definitely not sponsored, but I would totally take a sponsorship from them. <laughs> I should like because I use a lot of their stuff. I should actually go through and like set up a business bank account for all this stuff. But nah, that would, nah. we would have to have yeah. money coming That's in. That's true. That's gonna be relevant. We'll see what the YouTube channel does. Maybe that'll go somewhere. Or it'll just be like this and it's for fun only, and that's fine. I mean, yeah, it's perfectly fine, but I did just spend a lot on a second controller and Lego Star Wars. True. But you also wanted that. I also wanted it. And I graduated. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm giving it to myself. We'll see. We'll see. But um, but yeah, no. We'll, we'll figure it. We'll start doing that at some point. That'll be fun. Squatch. What are they hiding? Themselves. Yeah. See, there. there's all this to do again in the news about this hearing, government hearing on UFOs. But it's like, when are we going to get the congressional hearings about like Sasquatch. Sasquatch or the Swamp Gas Monster or the Yetis or Loch Ness. Like, when's that coming down? I mean, about? I don't think America's involved in Loch Ness Monster very You don't much. know. <laughs> I mean, no, I do not. You know, I but, just, just a hunch. It, well, let's not talk about the fact that the Loch Ness Monster predates the existence of the nation of the United States. Yeah. But let's, you know, the, the water horse came from somewhere. Like, where was the inspiration of that film drawn from? Like, you can't tell me they made a mythical creature completely by their imaginations in CGI. That never happens in films. 
Nope. Speaking of making imaginary creatures out of CGI in films. And uh, UFOs. And UFOs and conspiracies. <laughs> hey, we're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. That is a yet An oddly un- perfect uh, conversation yeah. leading up to our Philosophical this week. Yeah. We're talking about Arrival. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man. Or not pull a lever and allow five people to die. Find out in Philosophical. Who's rival? The arrival. The, the, but it, it but doesn't it, specify that it's any particular person's rival. It just says a, a rival. rival. It's not the rival. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the up. indefinite article. It's, it's It doesn't say anything about the eye of the tiger. Um, it's the thrill of the fight. Uh, or rising up to the challenge of arrival. It just says arrival. At the beginning. That, that, was, that was quite a long setup for that, but okay. Well, that's that's the it. lyrics for... I'm aware. Yeah. I've seen Rocky Three. <laughs> but we're not talking about Rocky Three today. We're talking about the Oscar-nominated and snubbed Arrival. Indeed we are. So, Arrival came out in 2016, directed by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Villeneuve. The same guy who directed Dune. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, ah, all right. You said that first. He likes space movies. Movies. Should. And turn on Bryant's uh, <laughs> sound bar. <laughs> because then you won't be able to hear the movie like God intended. Is See, isn't this just like the theater? What? My eardrums are ruptured. I can't what? hear what the the characters are saying. See, but it sounds cool, I guess. Yeah. Although it's nothing like the legendary subwoofer in our basement at the old house, which is rattling everything <laughs> well, on the entertainment center. It was rattling because we had like the remote thing right on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it was just vibrating so much that the remote thing just kind of rattled around not <laughs> not because great. it was like shaking the house or anything. It was great. But it was it was a powerful little thing. Yeah. Too um, powerful for its uh, size, but uh, for the anyway. space in which it found. Speaking itself. of powerful, we are uh, besides our ability to get sidetracked. Uh, what's the movie? <laughs> well, I, I saw movie. this in theaters, and we I introduced Nathan and Riley to it last well, night. I didn't. I wasn't introduced to it. I had seen it before. Oh, you had. We okay. borrowed it from the library or something at some point. Oh, so uh, okay. Or it was on Netflix when we had it. Something like that. Gotcha. One of those things. But the, last night was the first time I saw it. So I may have the most incomplete summary, but since you guys have seen it more times than me, you can can jump in with details if necessary. Yep. So the movie begins with uh, Louise Banks, and we don't know yet that she's Louise Banks, and her daughter Hannah, and uh, just some scenes of them growing up, and there is noticeably no dad present, so that's worth noting. And eventually, like... They go through the motions of life, and we find out that uh, Hannah contracted something, probably some kind of cancer, not really mm-hmm. specified what, but she dies at a very young age. Yep. And that's kind of what we're given at the start. And it cuts to Dr. Banks walking into her classroom to teach a class about Portuguese linguistics. And nobody's there. Like, there's like seven people in the room and all their phones are going off and it's like typical, oh, there's going to be oh, a commentary on the kids. But actually yep. look at the news. There's some crazy world news happening. Yeah. The crazy world news is that 
these bean-looking UFO things have almost landed, not quite touched the ground, in a, several different spots around the world, one of which happens to be in Montana. Which there's a total of 12. Uh, um, yeah. And so these bean-looking UFO things, aren't they're not doing anything. They have nothing to do with Chicago either. Nope. No. That one's a silver bean. Yeah, this one's sort of a... These are kind of matte black. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite matte, more of a satin, but yeah. beside the point. <laughs> so they're they're not doing anything. They're just kind of there. And all the different governments of the places which they have landed are kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And I guess Louise, at some point in her life, had done some work for the... For the feds. Being a language expert. Language teacher of linguistics. She translated videos of uh, insurgents and... Uh, Why we couldn't get normal language people in the... Interpreters, who knows? They were probably using some ancient dead language. That Could That's the, the plausible explanation that came to my head. It's like... Could be. That no, no one outside of a university professor Although would ever I, care to know. I think... I think you might have said Farsi, and they could plausibly say they couldn't get an interpreter. No way they don't have someone who speaks Farsi that, that's in the United tr- States. Yeah. Anyway. Somewhere. Anyway. That's beside the point. She's done work for the government. She's done work, and has, like, hey. has top, secret, top secret clearance, and they're like, hey, come translate things. Slap an audio file on your desk and say, translate that. And she's like, I, no, I can't. That's what n- even is that? Don't you understand that language is always defined in terms of other language? If you give me five seconds of audio, I can't do anything with that. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, what would it take for you to, to do it? She's like, I need to go be in contact with them. They're like, mm, and she's like, that's you gotta. That's what I got to do. And they're like, okay, work. we're going to go to Berkeley and get the hipster guy down there. And she's like, well, ask him what the Sanskrit word is for war. Okay. Then they come back. And they're like, yeah, we need you. She's like, what do you say it was? Um, Their desire what, what, for many cows. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, that yeah, they fly off on a helicopter to the alien site in uh, Montana. Um, and on the way, they meet um, Jeremy Renner's character, what is his Ian, name? Ian, Ian. Ian. Who's a physicist, I believe. Who's a physicist who is somehow going to be involved in the project to understand alien language. I think well, the idea was that, oh, she's going to translate the language so he can ask them physics questions about how the spaceship got here mm-hmm. and we'll be done, done in a week. Good good job, government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Audibly pats, pats himself on the back. <laughs> Narrator, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> They waltzed in, and they all had to wear hazmat suits, so it was, you know, callous and unopened communication. And so they didn't get anywhere with that. Well, they, they, yeah, they get into the, um, into the alien ship. Into I guess. the alien ship. And there's, like, weird gravity different in there. Yeah, it goes sideways. Gravity goes sideways. And the aesthetic is remarkably similar to aspects of control, but we're not going to talk about that. The and the black and the white fog and stuff yeah. yeah but the the point is they get nowhere in their first session and so they're like and hey they, we're gonna put you back up there one more time if you can't 
do it. You're fired. We'll get somebody else. Yep. And so, or even worse, people around the world are like, oh, crap, aliens. Let's uh, kill them. Let's nuke them. And they're doing all they can to try to hold things together to keep things from getting crazy. But, um, you know, people be people and people be crazy. Mm-hmm. A cult in North Dakota is apparently going insane. That's just... Uh, th- uh, North Dakota stereotypes for you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we only had a cult once, okay? And it was more of a gang than a cult. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Anyway, um, Louise takes matters into her own hands. and There's this little canary or bird thing they have in a cage as like sort of a canary oxygen. in the coal mine. It'd be like, is the oxygen good here? And she's like, well, that's thing's still alive it must be safe for me to breathe so she pulls off her hazmat suit and at first the government people are like what are you doing what are you doing she's like uh if they can't see me we can't communicate so and also she's excited um talking is ineffective because we don't know what anything is so how about we try and decipher writing instead so she writes on a whiteboard her name and ian's name and the aliens shoot out from their tentacles these inky circle things which are some sort of Imagine if writing. Uh, the, the aliens kind of look like giant seven-fingered hands, kind of mm-hmm. octopus things. The heptapods, yes. as they come to be called. <laughs> Although, actually, these two in particular, they name Abbott and Costello. Mm-hmm. So, slowly over time, um, Luis yeah, manages... They start to grasp a semblance of the language. So, Louise puts together the fact that these... Circles are actually communicative, not of sound, but of meanings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they piece together the correlation. It's a non-phonetic language. Yes. So these these symbols represent ideas, not sounds. So they piece together what these different symbols mean and how they interact. And all the while, the government's breathing down their neck, like you gotta ask them. Uh, why they're here and it's like but to find out why they're here they they need to understand what a question is and also what here means and and also why and and also who what when where and then we need enough words to know what they're gonna say back to us and like hurry up because China and Russia are getting antsy and they want to blow it up and they're also making some progress other people are making limited progress in their communication although Louise is the sort of most effective one at the forefront of it um, at a certain point, the aliens, they managed to communicate with them and the alien, the heptopods say something to the effect of use weapon, yep. give, give weapon. And they're like, and the government's like, Ooh, does that mean harm? They said weapon. Like, hold on, hold on. We don't know what that means yet. You know, weapon could just be tool. We have only taught them a couple of words. It could be any number of things. We need to clarify. Mm-hmm. We need to not go nuts, but then people go nuts because the aliens say weapon. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll, actually in China, they also got a similar response where instead of uh, give weapon, uh, the aliens told them use weapon. And it's like, oh, well, that's be- even And because they're... Uh... They're learning to communicate with the aliens using mahjong, which, which is if inherently competitive. Yeah. So if your conditions are win and loss, mm-hmm. and that's it. There's no yeah. It's if you if you're thinking in that sort of paradigm, you're going to non-zero sum game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So at this point, they've kind of made some breakthroughs and uh, developments. Like they're able to translate the writing and be able to basically project images of using the aliens writing 
alphabet more or less to communicate with them back and forth. But so. also while while putting this together, Louise is going through some stuff. She's having visions. Visions, yeah. Yeah, she of flashes of memory question mark of you know her child's life and death and she's kind of not feeling current in the present moment all the time sometimes she just kind of her mind wanders to another time where she's talking to her daughter about why her dad left or stuff like that she's uh, and this is happening more and more as she is becoming more and more learned in their the alien language she's just being more distractible by things not in the current time mm-hmm because, you know, you're you're stressed out by this whole thing. The <clears throat> the generals want you to ask them why they're here. Under a lot of pressure to do something out. very difficult because it's nothing like any human language. Yes. Um, so uh, some soldiers get paranoid and after the whole give weapon incident, and so they try to blow up the aliens with C4 while... <clears throat> um, uh, Luis in the inner up there trying to talk to the aliens. Yeah. The aliens notice the danger and manipulate the gravity to push them out of the chamber so they don't die. Um, and after the explosion, the alien ship moves a little further away from the surface after sort of the uh, um, insubordination by the paranoid soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so then they're like, oh, great. Do they mean us harm now? Are things getting real? And China's like, screw you guys, I'm going to fire. And so they're all gearing up for an attack on the alien ship. and The beans all turn sideways and things mm-hmm. look like they're going bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, then uh, our Montana ship uh, shoots out a little pod for uh, for Louise, Louise to, to get mm-hmm. into. So she's like, hey, I want to I go talk to the, to the heptapods. I want to sort this out. I want to say sorry and... See what I can figure out from them. And she goes off on her own to do this. <clears throat> um, and so she goes into their chamber. Um, because previously the heptapods had just set up a oxygen chamber for the humans to come into. Uh, whereas they're always behind this smokescreen veil of glass that has their like much more viscous uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere in it. But um, now uh, Louise finds herself beyond the veil uh, in their environment, breathing their gases, and mostly doing pretty pretty all right. Um, And she's communicating with one of the aliens. I forget if it was Abbott. Uh, It was Costello. It was Costello. Yeah, Abbott. Abbott was in death process. Yep. Whether that means he's already dead or he's currently dying, who knows, but... Yeah. That's the words that he chose to tell her. So she tries to drill down with Costello and be like, what do you mean use weapon? Like what's going on here? And the, and he clarifies, um, the language is a weapon. Um, I don't think they, he clarifies that right away. No, this is like, but he, we also, gave you this thing to help you because mm-hmm. you, we need your help in 3000 years. Mm-hmm. So if we can't communicate, that's not going to work. And she's like, wait a minute. How do you know what's going to happen? He's like, well, haven't you figured out that our uh, language is nonlinear? It unlocks time. Our, our, our perception of time is nonlinear. Yep. And our language facilitates that. Yep. So our language of our conception of time is nonlinear because our language makes it so is mm-hmm. the movie's presentation of it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and I guess in sort of the panicked moments before uh, the explosion earlier, the heptapods left like a whole like it looked like a keyboard mashing of different characters and their language just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So they managed to capture images of it. And what they come to understand is like, wait a minute, this is basically their entire language here. They left for us. Well, one twelfth of their entire language here. Yeah. Because it's all split up between the different beans. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're like, well, now we need to talk to the other countries and tell them to get their alphabet from them. And they're like, no, but they're going to go blow up the aliens. And um, we discover that uh, Louise is having basically flash forwards of her life. Mm-hmm. And she has a flash forward where she's talking to the Chinese general who's about to launch all the nukes at, uh, at the aliens. And he's telling her like, I don't know how you know this or, or I don't know. I didn't know how you know this or how your mind works, but uh you did one thing nobody else could do uh, that has changed my mind. Here's my number. Here's my private phone number. And these are the words of my, the dying words of my wife. And so she has this, I guess. I think what he said was, you called me on my private number. Mm-hmm. Like this had happened already in mm-hmm. the flash forwards perspective. Yeah, right. And so, well, yeah. Cause and in, you, you called me and told me my wife's dying words. And I trusted the fact that you knew that meant something important. So mm-hmm. I called off the nukes. Yep. And then she goes and proceeds to do just that. In the yep. in, current, in, day, current in, year 2016. In, in present day 2016. Yep. Averting the crisis and the aliens, their mission's accomplished. Leave. Their beans evaporate into smoke and are gone. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Louise is still having has been having a, a bunch more flash-forwards about um, her and Ian's daughter as we come to realize that, oh, she knows that she gets married to Ian. And then also she tells Ian about how she knows their daughter is going to die, and in, that's why Ian in the leaves. Future. In the yeah. future. I figured that out about halfway through. Yeah. I yeah. was pretty proud of that. Like, well, because the only other like male character that could possibly be a, a candidate. Was Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was that actually Joaquin Phoenix? It just it kind of looked like him to me. Where the the director guy, not the military, not Weber, the guy who was oh, the guy oh, who the wore CIA, the blue shirt, the CIA yeah, guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, no, that yeah, wasn't Joaquin Phoenix, it, but it didn't look like him. It, yeah, it's like a a more portly Joaquin Phoenix after a fashion, but but no. Um, but yeah, so the, it's it's become clear. I mean, because this whole project has taken months and. Ian and Louise have worked very closely on it. They've sort of fallen in love with each other. And then at, at the end of the movie, it ends on a, in like the same scene where it began in her house next to a lake. And they're married now. And they're like, you want to have a baby? Yeah. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. She, Even though she knows what's going to happen with said baby. And there's a question posed at some point in the movie. Or no, she asks Ian after the aliens leave, if you knew how your whole life was going to go, would you change anything? If you had the chance to, to change, change your feet, would, would you? you? <laughs> if you had one shot, one, one opportunity, opportunity. <laughs> would you capture it? Or would so, you just fall flat on your face? It's interesting in that in that final moment at the end. Till I movie. collapse, I'm spilling these circles. 
<laughs> at the end of the movie, actually, this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at the end of the movie, like as she's contemplating this decision with with her husband now, I guess to have the baby, like she's seeing all these premonitions, basically of the life. She still chooses, yeah, let's do it, which is which is kind of neat. Um, we can get more into it later, but yeah, well, that's that's the premise of the movie. It's like a, overall, kind of like plot wise, a very short film. It's very. Mm-hmm. Um, Simple, if I want to say that. I mean, it, it the, the events are straightforward. The events are straightforward. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, what are some cool things we like about it? Well, I happen to have recently finished a philosophy of language capstone paper. Nice. So I have done a lot of research on this topic over the last few months and uh, found it an interesting... Um, way to apply those things that I've learned in uh, analyzing this movie. So, they mention this thing in the movie called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, Mm -hmm. which, boil it down, is the idea that languages are relative in that you can't really compare them with one another because languages shape the way we think. You know... The classic example that gets cited a lot is between... They did some experiments between English and Yucatec Mayan in the uh, 1800s. And what they found is that, like, the Yucatec Mayan only has what's called mass nouns, which Mm. are, like, referring to things categorically. Like, when you say fish, that's a plural noun. Mm Mm-hmm both this it fits the form of the singular and plural that's what constitutes a mass noun whereas in english we have that distinction between you know count count nouns Mm -hmm. and mass nouns whereas yucatec mayan doesn't they have only mass nouns and so that influenced the way they approached activities that they were instructed to do so there's something to this idea that the language you speak and the way it's constructed impacts the way you think and do things. Mm-hmm. Now, you apply that to this um, heptapod language that has this non-phonetic, you know, meaning-based communication form. And you ask, it poses the question whether a non-linear concept of time encoded in a language would result in beings thinking that way also the the their writing is circular so it doesn't have a beginning point or an end point it's non-linear it's more like it's sort of a cloud of meanings strapped it's together. a rorschach ink blot in a circle mm-hmm. <laughs> which apparently they actually went through and designed like the entire heptapod language and only used about 70 percent of it for the movie neat which is kind of cool um that they went yeah. went to that level it's like you know what let's just get a freaking linguist and a graphic designer in here and let's make let's make a language but uh but yeah let's see what are some other cool things about the the movie it's a interesting way of approaching communication between two parties or classes of beings that have never interacted before Mm -hmm. because with human natural languages you know we've had situations where like people came from the old world to the new world and communicated with native americans somehow and there's a lot of communications breakdowns because the languages are 
basically oh, separate superior warf hypothesis. Yeah. So, but the 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 differences are so fundamental in these two beings' way of communicating. It creates something. It's like that's interesting. I wonder how how that would work. How our ancestors did that. How they approached things when they when they came here. Mm-hmm. And it kind of points to this reality of language developing and shared activity. Yeah. Which is another one of the key points in my paper is like the way we teach kids language is like you're in the living room and you're playing and you're like block and your, your toddler goes block. And so your shared attention upon this object and your activity of playing with it is the way that language develops and and grows in and that's how like, vocabulary Luis is initially able to communicate with the aliens yeah. she's writing things on a whiteboard and the aliens directing are... attention and activity to a common thing between the two parties that's how the chinese were doing it with a game mhm mhm yeah in a similar similar fashion so yeah language through shared activity mhm which i believe in like the early instances of european contact with the native americans it was uh it was a similar deal, but like with trading, basically different goods and valuables. They did lots of like sign language and different things like that to be able to communicate. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. I also really liked how the movie um, is cleverly put together in that when you're first watching it, you assume that these are flashbacks that Luis is having at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is all happened, like her daughter passing away and everything has happened before. Because mm-hmm. I guess we're used to that linear storytelling model, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, the twist is sort of in that. Actually, no. this uh, None of this has happened yet at this point in the movie. So it sort of underscores that sort of... It sort of helps the audience understand on a certain level what what a non-linear perception of time might look like because it's sort of a hard thing to explain without that sort of illustration on a different level which i found fascinating when i first watched it yeah and there's a point in like the middle of the movie where uh where um you're starting to get clued into it where where louise actually you can see when she starts having these Mm -hmm. flash forwards Um, yeah because like previously we had it just it had just been audience only information, mm-hmm. but now we she has these flash forwards and it's new information to her. But she's you, so like on a first viewing, you could be like, oh, she's sad because she's remembering her daughter. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's now, actually no, she's a, like on a second watching, confused. it's like, oh yeah, she's like confused. Like what the heck are these thoughts I keep having? Who's you also girl? wonder like. I I found myself wondering for a while, like, when is this going to come in? Like, when is this mm-hmm. going to matter in the character arc? Yep. It's like, it, the answer is not yet, not but yet. also right now. N- yes. <laughs> so, yeah, they. it was kind of a neat expectation subversion in that. Mm-hmm. So it, it still managed to have a payoff, uh, a good payoff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I feel like a lot of times when subver- intentional subversion of expectation often ends with like, like the point is like sort of a disappointment of that expectation. But this is like, oh, this is an understanding of it that I had, did not see coming, but it makes total sense. And it's also um, something I kind of found interesting was, or when thinking back on it, 
is at the end of the movie, Louise makes the choice that I've seen my whole life, but I'm I'm gonna live it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I kind of get the vibe that the the heptapods are very much reserved to that same kind of thing. Yep. It's like Abbott came anyway, even though he was gonna get blown up. Yep. Right? And likely knew that Ab- was gonna happen. They both knew that was gonna happen, but they knew it had to because it was. Crucial for their race, basically. Like, in some way, like the... Because whatever they saw that was 3,000 years later is much worse than Abbott getting blown up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there was... I think the the door for interpreting the possibility of changing things is left open. Right. It's like, you know, you could argue that them coming at all to help the humans is something that they needed to do in order for the humans to help them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not like pure foreknowledge, but it's like, you know, you can more of a maybe, premonition. Yeah. Where it's not like concretely set in stone. Gonna happen. Yeah. That, that's my, that was the way I interpreted it on first glance. But, but also, um, Louise uses future information to get current things done. Mm-hmm. Yep. The way that the aliens kind of seem to... So you could plausibly interpret that maybe she sees her child's rare disease coming and they find some sort of treatment for it. Potentially. Who knows? Yeah. Um, she's, or that they go and help the heptopods 3,000 years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the more like explicitly like hinted at, I suppose. Well, she's got to teach a lot of people that language. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In fact, that's what she's doing in the ending scenes of the film that kind of show what happened after they left. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how the movie sort of pulls little pieces of the audience experience from a couple different genres where it's like, you know, the twist at the end, like, say, your M. Night Shyamalan movie or or like a mystery film where like you when you that piece clicks into place and you look back and mm-hmm. it all fits together. He was dead the whole time. Yeah, that type of thing. Um, I, I thought was really cool. And I remember when I went to watch it in theater, my buddy was like, uh, yeah, it's an alien invasion movie. And so at the beginning of the movie, like, you know, it's starting to look like, okay, yeah, there's chaos. People are panicking. Like the aliens are here. It's kind of scary. It's high tension. Yeah. Not sure how it's going to shake out sort of a feel. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this isn't an alien invasion movie. They're not invading. They're visiting. Bring, they're visiting. They're and politely ho- visiting. They're they haven't even landed. They're offering gifts. They come bearing gifts. We just want to talk to you. Literally, we just want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. That is I just all we talk. came to do. I just want to talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> but yeah, um, any other cool things, I guess, before we get into the analysis? Um, I mean, there's a lot of other like cool things. They're like, oh, that's more of a beauty thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah. Should we get into it then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, truth. What is uh, true in Arrival? Language grows in shared activity. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, I've got this thing in my brain and it's there before I ever put words to it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You have to and form I just and shape those magically thoughts. download it. No. The, the way that we do everything as humans is in shared activity. Mm-hmm. And language is just one of those parts. Yeah, it's a medium by which, well, the act you of, always define words in terms of other words. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just 
your dictionary isn't a USB drive that you stick yeah. in your forehead. And, and words only mean something in as much as they are understood by more than one person. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the very um, language itself is communal, communicative. Like yes. they have the same root word. Yeah, it's like Co- I could, comune, in common. Mm-hmm. I could have a, make up a language that has meanings to every word, but if nobody else knows what it is, that has no point, it has no meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is true? Um, I suppose there's something to be said, I, I guess, with like not linear versus nonlinear views of time. Um, I think it's interesting. It's more like... Um, a thought experiment at, if life yeah. worked this way yeah because it doesn't work that way right that's the that's the key point as far as we know right now but also yeah. uh seeing the world from the perspective of an other mm-hmm. right from someone you don't understand yeah uh getting a glimpse into how they experience the world can mm-hmm. be helpful and useful and give you a new level of understanding um I guess we were having, we were sort of having this debate last night whether one could plausibly come up with a language that is non-phonetic. Was it like the main debate being like it's non-phonetic? And- no, we've got lots of non-phonetic languages. True. We've got many pictographic languages like Mandarin Chinese is a non-phonetic mm-hmm. language. Machine code is a non-phonetic language. <laughs> True. But what was but I'm the, forgetting what was our main debate with Brian last night? I think he was I don't remember. Let's ask him. <laughs> He's right out there. I th- uh, Brian, what was your objection to the movie again last night? Well, or like that- you were coming up with whether it was plausible to create a language that did something. What was the something? Last night, the whole debate we had after arrival was done. I, the one I went to bed before. You were trying to contend that it was implausible. Exists through mouth probably wouldn't happen to describe something as a whole, like an an entire idea. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So like the holism of the heptapod language, whether humans where it was more purely based on it's just it communicates meaning, not. There's not the separate layer of sign, mm-hmm. but there is still because there's blot. And we sort of argued that, yes, that was That's possible. Plausible. It's not super likely if you didn't have the idea in your head to begin with. Right. If you were doing that without intention, you couldn't just like stumble upon that. Mm-hmm. But it's possible to do it. Thank you, background guest host Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> um, of... Um... Uh, Starcraft episode of fame. a bug strife, fame. yeah, of a bug strife <laughs> fame. Thanks, Brent. Which we uh, had someone listen to. What's that? We had someone listen to that episode. Nice. <laughs> I haven't looked at the analytics so, in forever. Any whoever other... you are that's listening to our old episodes, thank hello. you. Hello, hello. Send this us is an a email. new episode, but Send it will an be an email. old one by the time you listen to it, probably. So thanks for doing <laughs> that. Uh, any other truths? I guess we want to get into. Yeah. Um, I suppose there was sort of um, it wasn't really central to the movie but like that idea of accepting uh, marriage and parenthood 
with the knowledge that pain and suffering are likely to come from it was kind of a cool little mm-hmm. note at the end. That that might be more of a goodness thing. I suppose. Could be. Could be. Um, so yeah, let's let's start with that then. Yeah, goodness. That was the piece right there. Bam. Boom. Did it. <laughs> uh, yeah. What else is good in Arrival? The heptapods are pretty, pretty good. They're pretty chill. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like... Ultimately they're benevolent like, purpose. Um, or as we heard it last night. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, their, their desire to share like this tool, this weapon, I suppose, um, with humanity... And then in the midst of all the government people, like you, you gotta step it up. You gotta, you got, or we're gonna blow them up. The, Pushing a couple people be like, no, slow it down. We need to ha- let cooler heads prevail. We need like, to operate in good faith, and mm-hmm. assume that they are also operating in good faith. Because thus far they haven't blown us up. Which is a good sort of, I mean, and they in the movie state a bunch of examples of cultures coming in contact. And having misunderstandings very badly for one yeah. or both of the cultures trying to learn those lessons in this instance which is a useful lesson for us to have just in general it's like if you don't have a basis of understanding with somebody else or you know like two different cultures like you need to be able to take that step back approach it in good faith and seek to understand the other before you are understood yourself if you're going to have you know good communications essentially um good relations with with the other um which it was more of a true thing but <laughs> right, but it's it's good that our <laughs> we're all thinking the yoda meme <laughs> we <laughs> are all, we're all good relations the with the wookies <laughs> what about the droid attack on the wookies <laughs> yoda on xbox <laughs> anyway uh oh i will what any other goodness in the uh movie i guess ian he's very supportive of Luis. he's very much a supporting character yes right i mean he's, he doesn't have a whole lot to do being the fact that he's just the physics guy so if they don't have physics to study really he kind of just has to help where he can mm-hmm. yeah and they didn't quite get enough uh information out of them for him to do anything mathy with right um, I guess that mostly covers like the goodness things. Yeah, mostly. I suppose. Yep. Uh, beauty. What is beautiful in Arrival? It's got a very grounded aesthetic. It yeah, does. for an alien movie. For an alien movie. I think like they they, they got. I like the aesthetic inside. The, the cinematography this, is brilliant. There was this. Great visual theme of separation between mm. the humans and the heptopods. There's a, a literal language barrier that they had to overcome. They to were white on that side. They everything on their side of the glass was white. Everything on the human side of the glass was like this black, right? Yep, and darkness and light. Something I kind of noticed, is, like throughout the course of the movie, is that every time we flash back to um, uh, Amy Adams in her house with the one big um, glass uh, window of window, the lake window over the lake it reminded me of the framing of every time they interacted with the heptapods where mm-hmm. there was that big piece of glass where she was on one yeah. side of well and then the camera makes use a lot of like before she understands the language like the cinematography they have like very shallow depth of field shots where like the subject isn't focused but everything else is like incredibly blurry um and things become more and more into focus as time goes on in the movie that was that was great or like when they're entering the heptapod bean 
Um, they the disorienting <laughs> camera ups with the upside down gravity or the sideways gravity. There was just there was just one scene where they're walking in and it's upside down. They walk into the room and the camera's upside down relative to yep. because gravity and it, they're all disoriented because what's ways up yep. in this language. Yeah. So Not to was, mention like an encounter with a completely foreign like um, other beings. Um, beings, yeah. And uh, the other thing I was looking up some you know some of the trivia and whatever on imdb um as we were watching the movie out of curiosity and they mentioned like the cinematography the approach they were taking with the movie it was like we wanted it to feel like a really bad tuesday after it just rained <laughs> like that feeling at the beginning of the movie and i'm like you know what that is oddly specific and that is the way i think i love it because <laughs> that is how it feels at the beginning of the movie I think they did a really good job visually representing these concepts in a way that paired well with to and reinforced what the story was trying to tell. Because mm-hmm. like it's hard to just sit there and explain all the time everything that's going on. Because so, what are movies but a medium that, um, a multimedia medium that communicates to the audience? Right. And so I like I like it when people they make full use of it. Put meaning in their camera work. Mm-hmm. Or in their set design, or in their lighting, right? Yep. It's just that's good filmmaking. Yeah, because that was sort of the other thing with like the presentation of the heptapods too. Like they're nothing like crazy in terms of like alien creatures and things like that. Like they're unique certainly, but like over the they course look of vaguely the... humanoid once she actually gets in there, and that's mm-hmm. actually another thing they do. Classic monster movie stuff where it's like you. You, you see them enveloped in fog, right? Shrouded in mystery at the beginning. But slowly they they drop that veil and you see more and more of them. And you as the characters come to understand them more, they, be, they come clearer into view. And it's sort of the subversion of that storytelling archetype where it's like the more friendly they are as they come to understand each other more. Whereas in monster movies, like more of the oh crap They, they factor. keep them opaque to um, keep you scared of them and guessing fear of the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning, to have that element of fear of the unknown, as yep. they slowly let the fog lift. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Where they literally bring her up to their level, mm-hmm. where they're able to communicate most fluently. On their side of the veil. Mm-hmm. There's no divide between them, both language-wise and physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is said that women in particular really want to get inside the head and the the thoughts of others at more, least more empathetic yeah more empathetic but i know i've talked to a lot of like ladies where they're just like they really want to know what's going on inside of our heads like as guys generally but i mean there's not much no <laughs> but like sort of like um louise kind of bears this out too where she's literally able to think as the aliens do which is kind of cool Things um, like the aliens. We did a book about. We did an episode on a book like that. Once. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Uh, oh yeah, we've done a couple of those. Yeah, Ender's Game. What was the other one? Starcraft. Starcraft. Yeah. yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. It's all coming together. Be- oh yeah, Begome Alien. But like <clears throat> the case alien. of Kevin. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> oh yeah, but like aliens are a good like unknown other to insert that's, into that kind of story. That is sort of what the word means. Exactly. Right. But in this context, alien colloquially is understood to be extraterrestrial Space beings. creature. Mm-hmm. Um, any other elements of beauty, I suppose? The the soundtrack is sparing, but, but impactfully the sound used. design yes. is weird and mysterious and great. Mm-hmm. Especially with all the... <laughs> 
Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, well, like the scene as they're first entering the alien spacecraft, like sort of like the heavy breathing over the microphone and the, yeah. the loud noises of the crinkly hazmat suit and things like that just sort of heighten the tension and, mm-hmm. you know. There's this like periods of dead silence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to like about the film uh, aesthetically. Uh, Unity, what brings everything together? In the movie. Meaning. Language. It's all about communication, baby. It's called communication, it's called- baby. Yeah, I got the quote <laughs> wrong. Dang it. But no, you knew what I meant. Rival. <laughs> yeah. You uh, came to the right place, you ding, ding dong. dong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Really, though. Yeah, it's about yeah, yeah. meaning. What is, what, is it, what is meaning? What does it mean to communicate with somebody? What, what does, does it, it mean, mean to mean? What does it? Yeah. What does it? What does it mean to perceive meaning? What does it mean to? What does it mean? What does it? What does? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so I take it that we're about we're about ready to wrap up here. Then yeah, I think so. I think we brought it full circle. Alrighty. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Stalling while I bring up the exit script, which I should have memorized at this point. But I mean, that brings it full circle with every other episode we've ever done. So True. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to the Palladium Papists. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And leave a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palapapists. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladiumpapists at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. See ya. Uh. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs>